Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. Army Rangers storm a suspected drugs mothership off our southern shores. A significant quantity of suspected drugs are found on board the detained cargo ship, which was escorted by the Navy into Cork tonight. A major operation is also continuing off the Wexford coast as part of the investigation into suspected international drug smuggling. Also coming up on the programme tonight, walking off the job, childcare providers shut up shop for three days in a protest over funding. Well, we're just hoping that they recognise how important childcare is and the work that we all do. It's family-run business and things have gone very tough. And batten down the hatches as Storm Agnes is set to make landfall. Met Air and issues severe weather warnings. A container vessel ship has been stormed by army rangers as part of a major investigation into suspected international drug smuggling. The vessel was escorted into Cork Harbour this evening. Revenue officials say a significant quantity of drugs was discovered on board. The operation first started on Sunday when a separate vessel, a trawler, became stuck on a sandbank north of Rosslare in County Wexford. Well, first tonight, I'm joined live from Cork for more on this by our Southern correspondent, Paul Byrne. And Paul, tell us more about this extraordinary operation. Well, Claire, right behind me across in Cove is the MV Matthew, the ship that was stormed earlier this afternoon. And I suppose little did the crew realise or think that when they left South America a number of weeks ago that they'd end up in Cove this evening under armed guard. That ship was boarded this afternoon after it failed to comply with members of the Naval Service. And the Army Rangers basically abseiled down from the helicopter, took control of the vessel after a number of shots were fired because the crew, as I said, failed to comply and wouldn't allow them on board. One man was arrested. The ship was then escorted into the port of Cork here this evening and is under armed guard with an estimated two tonnes of cocaine on board, possibly a street value of up to 150 million euro. And of course, this all depends on purity. Some people say it could be twice, maybe even three times that value, depending on the purity of the drug itself. Of course, also part of this major international drug smuggling operation was a trawler that was purchased in the south of the country on Friday by two men who were arrived in a fishing village and purchased a trawler. Now, speaking to locals in that fishing village this afternoon, they were somewhat surprised when they saw these two men heading off in the vessel because they told the local fishermen they were heading for Devon and we say for argument's sake they were supposed to turn left. The vessel went right and headed in the direction of Waterford or Wexford. And that's where it's now thought that the trawler was to rendezvous with this ship behind me and what that, that is known as a mothership. And when it's offloads cargo, it's called coopering. But because of the bad weather, the 
trawler, it's thought now, never rendezvoused with the ship and it was uh, then became stranded on a sandbank. Two men on board that trawler were then uh, airwinched and are now under arrest. The trawler at the ship, the NV Matthew, stayed around the coast for a number of days, but it's understood they became somewhat spooked this afternoon when they learned that the men on board the trawler had been arrested, tried to leave the Irish waters, but the ship was overpowered by the Rangers, the Customs Service, the Customs Officers, as well as the Defence Forces. Now, again, as I said, uh, it's early stages in the investigation. The authorities are being somewhat very tight-lipped, but we understand that a major me media briefing will take place tomorrow, and at that stage, a lot more will come out uh, uh, as the, the hours roll on. OK, Paul Byrne, thank you for bringing us up to date um, on that and the latest from Cork. Our Southern correspondent, Paul Byrne, there. Well, I'm joined on my panel tonight by Minister of State and Government Chief with Hildegard Nocton, Sinn Féin TD, Kathleen Funchen, Irish Independent Political Correspondent, Hugh O'Connell, Independent TD, Cahill Berry, and online by former head of the Maritime Analysis Operations Centre, uh, Michael O'Sullivan. And I want to come to you first, uh, Michael, on all of this. We're hearing about a significant amount of drugs on board this cargo ship. We're hearing there are two tonnes, could be worth 150 million um, perhaps a lot more than that. It's originating from South America. That uh, ship has been impounded. Can you give us an idea from experience what you suspect was the route and the plan for this particular shipment? Well, obviously, I can't talk about the, the operation at the moment because it's ongoing. Um, I, I can certainly tell you what the modus operandi is, and, and it's quite simple. You have... You have quite a lot of cocaine, which has been mass produced in South America, and you have a huge drugs market here in, in Europe, and there are very good drug prices. So what normally happens, there people have moved away, or drug shipments have moved away somewhat from the days of sending a yacht over with maybe a ton, whereas now cartels have pooled their money and are importing drugs. And I'm not saying that's the case in this particular instance, but they are pooling their money to uh, import larger quantities, industrial level quantities, five, six, seven tons, which would have been unheard of four or five years ago, bringing them towards Europe, offloading them to a vessel uh, and um, trying to get the drugs to Europe one way or another with a view to, to selling them on, on, on the black market. All, all our cocaine, all Europe's cocaine, all everybody's cocaine comes from South America. And there's a huge markup and there's a huge profit to be made. And the cartels are very much aware of that. And we're largely dependent on the navies as the first line of defence. I, I worked in the Maritime Analysis Operations Centre in Lisbon, where our sole role was to intercept these drug shipments coming from South America to Europe. It's quite a challenging role and we've had some success in it, but there's a big market and it's, a, it's, an, it's, 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 it's an ongoing challenge. Is Ireland of strategic importance here? Um, there is, isn't there, a, 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 a strong appetite and a big drugs market in this in this country? Um, but you know, what what are I suppose the smugglers thinking when you know they're pulling up uh, here and a trawler tries to 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 get ashore? How important is it for them this Irish market? Well, the Irish market is is a, is a fragment of the European market. We've a, we've a small population, but. Uh, the Irish punch above the rate in buying cocaine. We um, we buy a lot of it, and we have a lot of people using it from all walks of life. And I'm not talking about people in back alleys injecting heroin. I'm talking about everyday people, successful people in business, 
um, it, it cuts through the whole strata of society. Mm-hmm. And lots of people are buying cocaine. And, and that, that it just fuels these criminal gangs. And it fuels the criminal gangs on another continent as well. So that's just, it's, it's, market, it mark, it mark, it's market forces that drive the, the entire uh, enterprise. Is this only a hint of what comes through and, and what goes undetected? Well, it's, it's, it's impossible to say what goes undetected. Somebody came up with the idea that, we, that the law enforcement only sees 10% of overall drugs, which is ridiculous. I can tell you what was seized in, um, two years ago for the entire year. Mayock seized um, 26 vessels when it came to approximately 4 billion euros worth of cocaine. And among those vessels was a semi-submersible submarine-type vessel, which came from the Amazon basin to the shores of Spain. It took 23 days, carrying three tons. So it shows, it highlights the fact that these people don't have a budget. It highlights the fact that they're very entrepreneurial, they're very evasive, they're very flexible in their operations. And they watch and wait and figure out where's the weak link and where can they send in the next shipment. And if the shipments start to get caught at a particular point, they move further south. Currently, they're sending a lot of shipments through what's termed the cocaine highway, which is a 10 degree line of latitude going from Brazil to the Gulf of Guinea. They tend to send ships that way because the European assets, the European vessels can't get that far south fast enough to intercept them. To intercept, um, although a successful um, operation, it has to be said, in this instance, I want to bring my panel in at this point. And Cahill Berry, to come to you on this, as a former army ranger, we know that the armed ranger wing was uh, deployed and, and used some pretty incredible tactics uh, to seize the ship. Is, is this the first time we've seen this sort of operation um, and these sort of skills in use, in direct, in practical use by the Army Ranger Wing. Yeah, so it's the first time it's been used in a kinetic operation in our own sovereign territorial waters for sure. Um, basically, it's a, a textbook top attack. Basically, there's two helicopters used. One is full of snipers to provide overwatch. And the second helicopter then uh, drops the assault team uh, onto the ship. And the assault team sees the bridge and takes control of the vessel. And... Uh, Basically, but if you saw the footage there earlier on, you can see it's an, an opposed, non-compliant uh, boarding. You can see the vessel was weaving to the left and weaving to the right. So while the Army Rangers made it look easy, it wasn't easy. Very, very high seas and uh, the, the ship was not cooperating, so it's good that they got down. And from what we've heard, shots were fired and there was uh, an altercation, if you like, on board there. Um, subsequent, uh, subsequently, an arrest was made. Um, just a question, and I suppose I was asking Michael about you know, how strategic Ireland is. And we'll come back to him maybe on, on how particularly vulnerable uh, we, we are. How vulnerable do you think we are to traffickers given our naval ship capability right now? Yeah, hugely vulnerable and not a lot of people know, um, but we do have eight naval ships. But incredibly, three quarters of our fleet is tied up almost permanently inside in port. Why? Because we don't have the crew mm-hmm. and we can't even put them to sea. So only two vessels for an island nation could go to sea. And the reason we don't have the crew is the paying conditions are so poor that not enough people are staying or joining. And as a result, we have 300 million euro worth of state vessels uh, at anchor are tied up in Cork, which is an incredible situation. If you tell any international ambassador, first of all, they don't believe it. And when they do find out it's actually true, they're absolutely horrified. So we have a lot of work to do from that point of view. Would you say we're considered then a weak link by these sort of international 
um, gangs, these smugglers who, who see Europe as a very lucrative market? Yeah, not a weak link, uh, the weakest link. And as Michael quite rightly pointed out there, uh, drug shipments are like water. They move to the path of least resistance. And right now, it's like having a neon sign over Ireland saying, we're here, we don't really care about our territorial or sovereign waters. You can come and use us as a playground and uh, uh, the back door to Europe is mm. wide open. Uh, Hildegard Norton, to bring you in on that, drug strategy is under your your remit. Um, on the wider issue of, of catching what's potentially coming into this country, how concerned are you about our ability to, to secure our coastline? Well, I think this is, it's really important to say this is a really good example of interagency cooperation. And this was a really successful mission today. And it shows what um, yeah, our Naval Service and the Air Corps, uh, working with Angarda Shikona and the Revenue Commissioners and all the other agencies can do. And like this is the work that so they do every day, intelligence, intelligence, intelligence sharing. And it's not just at a national level, it's mm. at an international level. Um, so I think they need to be commended. Um, even this weekend, I'm in my own constituency in Galway, in, out in Connemara meeting, so it's going to kind of launch an initiative where coastal communities um, can be, where there's awareness raising around, I suppose, irregular activity at sea. Um, so it is obviously intelligence based and we've heard reference there around, I think fishermen or locals in the local coastal community who notice, who notice something um, unusual happening. Mm. Um, Should it be left to, to locals to no, notice it's only part of it. unusual no, happening? No, not at all. It's only part and of is, it. And is that, is that part of a a wider problem that needs to be addressed in government when yeah. Cahill has referred to that. And I think absolutely uh, our defence forces uh, need uh, funding. And I know the Taunish that even today a cabinet launched a strategic plan in relation to um, investing and in our um, defence forces. The culture was around that, but also recruitment and retention, which mm. is a key area. I know that work um, is, is happening in that. But our, our people are really well trained within the defence forces, which is another point, another issue around retention and recruitment there. What we're seeing as a weak being, link? Uh, well, we are a coastal, we are an island nation. Exactly. Yes, and we have to continue to invest in our defence forces. But I think what we saw today is an example... Or to, inve to well, invest, some would, some would say, will, when, and, when and it comes to the fact that we have vessels that simply can't go out to sea because there's no one to go in them. Absolutely. And look, I acknowledge that. I know that Thornish, the Minister for Defence, is looking at mm. uh, increasing. We have 1.5 billion um, euro uh, invested in our defence forces. We have estimates coming up now in the budget. I know that's going to be a focus for him. Uh, but I think we do need to acknowledge the work of our agencies. And today is a real example of that success story. Um, Kathleen Funchen, and I think, you know, we, we've talked about that, the, the, the incredible uh, work that was done t today and uh, this interagency work that resulted in this huge uh, drug seizure. But are you concerned, is the party concerned about uh, the ability of our defence forces to man our waters? Yeah, first of all, I know it's been said, but I think it is important to acknowledge the work that went on. And actually, I think it really highlights the danger that the defence forces put themselves in, you know, on a sometimes daily basis. I mean, what Carl was describing there is like seriously intense. And I think we do need to acknowledge that. But actually that even, you know, feeds into the argument that we do need to ensure that our defence forces are paid correctly. And I know a number of years ago, I think it was 2018, there was protests outside the Dáil at that time highlighting the issues in the defence forces in, in terms of paying conditions. It's continued to be an issue since actually we've reduced um, the amount of staff in the in the Navy service since was, the formation of this government. There was recommendation in, in a report to spend, what, like three billion or, you know, a, 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 
billions and put billions into the transport so in this country. Know, is that, would Sinn Féin be in favour of that? When we know that there's, that there's eight vessels and only two can actually be manned because of staff, that's just incredible for an island nation. So we definitely need to look at staff um, recruitment, retention. It has to be decent terms and conditions for people. But I also think as well, we need to look at the, the wider argument in relation to the whole drugs situation. And we, serious, we have a very serious issue in this country mm. that we need to get to grips with as well and ensure that services, like drug services, are being invested in um, for communities because you know, this is not a problem that's going to go away. And yeah. I think, I think we, need, we need to look at both of those uh, issues. Yeah, uh, certainly that's coming to focus as well, Hugh, with all of this and listening to Michael and what he was mm. saying about how we are, you know... Uh, we are above average, I think, was it? Above average yeah. in, um, in our use of cocaine and the yeah. demand for cocaine in this country. It certainly puts the focus on, on all of that. Mm. Um, when it comes to, I guess, our ability to to crack down on it and uh, to, to secure our shoreline. Yeah. Um, we do seem to be pretty vulnerable right now. Yeah, well, we do. I mean, there's, there's two issues there, I suppose. It's the capacity of the Defence Forces and the Naval Service um, and the Air Corps to, to deal with these uh, issues and, and as an island nation and as that kind of first uh, port, of, port of call, for want of a better phrase, uh, for these ships coming from Latin America. Um, you know, I suppose we're particularly vulnerable, and we, we patrol a large area of the of the Atlantic Ocean and the North Atlantic in particular. Um, I think it's like three is it three times the size of, of Ireland itself? Eight. Eight. So it's huge, and the capability is not there in terms of the defence forces. And then in terms of drugs and cocaine use in this country, we know it's rampant. Um, you know, you, you don't have to go far in Dublin to see that. Um, and it's an issue that the government is considering in the context of the Citizens' Assembly on, on drug use and potential policy changes there, which Hildegard is, is keen to talk about. But I suppose what's interesting about that is that the guards have been very clear that they don't think, and the people in the guards who are involved in, in uh, tackling this issue at, at present using our current laws, don't think that the kind of decriminalisation model that's been discussed and, and mooted here in this country, uh, the Portuguese model, for example, would work. And they think it would make the problem worse which I think is interesting in the context of a debate about potentially decriminalising the fact that the law enforcement authority in this country has a view that that would be a very bad approach. I'm not saying that, that they're right or wrong, but just the very fact that they've taken that position very publicly uh, when the government is perhaps moving in a different direction and, and society is moving in a different direction, that sets us up for a very interesting debate in the in months and years ahead. Does that present a problem, a, a challenge that at official level we have you know, opposition to any such move around uh, decriminalisation and moves that the government is potentially putting forward and, and, and working through a Citizens' Assembly right now? Yeah, so the, the Citizens' Assembly is independent at the moment. They'll be reporting at the mm. end of November. So they're looking at all of these issues, policy. Uh, we, what we have in Ireland is a health-led approach around people who are in addiction. And I meet them all the time mm. in my remit with the National Drug Strategy. Uh, people who are in that vicious cycle of ending up in the criminal justice system, in addiction and in and out. And those people really, they... They need a health-led response. They need, they need health addiction or detox, rehab, and they need supports. And then you have the other issue on people who take drugs like cocaine, cannabis, because they enjoy it on a Friday night, Saturday night, or whenever. So we need to have an open and honest conversation in this country. And the question around decriminalisation, legalisation, all of that is with the Citizens' Assembly at the moment, and they will be reporting. But I really do think we have to have that honest conversation. And we have increased 
based funding for uh, drug addiction, drug treatment. Mm. Um, I've provided for the first time ever one and a half million euro for um, but, education uh, and awareness look, around as the we, impact of we, drugs as we'll well. Come, we'll, come back, we'll come back to Michael now, but, and I know mm. um, as a former Garda Commissioner, Michael has come out and spoken against uh, decriminalisation and, and spoken um, in front of the Citizens' Assembly on this, haven't you, Michael? Um, your view on this and how we are... We are tackling, I suppose, the scourge of drugs in this country. And when you said there's a really high demand for cocaine, whether a potential policy is going in the right direction. There's two things, Pam. 92% of the, of the population in this country don't use drugs. That's, that's for starters. The people who are using cocaine are using it uh, uh, simply because they want to and they can and they can afford it. You know, it was interesting during the recession, there were very few seizures of cocaine. The drug traffickers hadn't the money to buy it. And the punters hadn't got the money to buy it either. So with the result, cocaine usage fell. Cocaine usage is solely dependent on disposable income. Now, heroin usage is completely different. You're comparing apples with oranges. You've got people who are addicted who need treatment. The criminal justice system in Ireland is well geared and is, was ahead of its time when it was introduced in 77, ahead of its time from the point of view it funneled heroin addicts into treatment. The problem was the resources for the treatment um, weren't perhaps what they should have been. Um, and uh, people now look back and say, oh, look at Portugal, Portugal, Portugal will work. I spent four years working with the police in Portugal. The Portuguese model will not work in this country. I, I, if you had an hour in your pro program, I could tell you why exactly. It simply won't work. It is based on a completely different system. And I think the main problem is they have a completely different criminal culture. We have a very aggressive, violent criminal underclass, both at juvenile and at adult level. All you have to do is look at what juveniles are do doing in the past between murders and serious assaults and the adults, well, they'll speak for themselves. You look at the feuds we've had, you look at the number of murders we've had. They don't have that in Portugal. They don't have that problem. They don't, they can't believe okay. what goes on in Ireland for a nation um, that, that is, is, is seen to be a friendly and welcoming nation. We just, we're punching way above our weight as regards right. criminals. And I know there and are, the system just won't work. I know there are different issues around this, around, you know, say, yeah. decriminalising. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Personal use, and then maybe yeah. you're maybe you're, you're saying yeah. there with that, Michael, that it, maybe it should depend on the drug in question as well. But just briefly to get back to how we compare to other countries in terms of our ability to stop drug smugglers, you know, collaboration EU wide, no doubt, is key to all of this. But yeah. do other countries have abilities well beyond our own when we speak of, of Ireland as a weak link? 
Yeah, well, I'll put it to you this way. Um, we work closely with with all. We work closely with all of the various other countries, and it's you're as good as your assets. Um, three years ago, we were intercepting vessels, and the Irish Navy were doing a tremendous job, uh, and they were operating with four vessels, uh, operational out at sea. They now have one out at sea, so obviously that's that's going to need to be remedied, and the minister said it will be remedied. So we'll, we'll see what happens with that. But at the end of the day, um, you're as good as the people who work with you. And when you look at the Irish Navy, this and I'm not going to talk about tonight's seizure, but the Irish Navy have been tracking vessels for years and providing intelligence that has led to seizures in Spain and Portugal and the UK. And very little is known about that. So Europe is absolutely dependent on the Irish Navy and the Irish Air Corps because they are the eyes and ears in the North Atlantic. If intelligence is received that there's a vessel in the North Atlantic, the only ones who have the capability of getting to it are the Irish Navy and the Irish Air Corps. And so Europe is flying blind until a vessel comes up a bit closer. And you never have that luxury that it'll come that bit closer. All right. OK. Um, thank you, uh, Michael O'Sullivan, for joining us on the programme tonight. My thanks also to Cahill Berry, who's been with us for this part of the show. Um, the rest of my panel are staying on with me. Coming up next, headaches for parents as childcare providers shut shop for a three-day protest. Do stay with us. Hundreds of childcare services are shutting their doors for three days this week in protest of what they say is a lack of funding in the sector. Providers from around the country staged a protest at Leinster House earlier today. And this evening, I spoke to two providers for their own view on this. Well, we should be charging eight euro an hour. That was, um, that was supposed to be our new uh, fee for the additional hours outside of the ECCE. And now, um, now we're going to be capped at 460. We have a degree-led team. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's just not working. What upsets us more as a business is that we're going no longer be able to look after our families. Um, we're in Castanoc, just along the Navan Road there, and we have Morgan's Place, which is um, the traveling community, and the travel lodge is just across from us as well. And we have asylum seekers and um, refugee children there. And unfortunately, we pull out of core funding. We will not be able to accommodate these families anymore. We left core funding. We didn't renew for the second year because we had to make a choice. And um, we did communicate with all our parents. The choice was, we take a chance, we sign back in, and good possibility we won't last six months with the school-age-only services, or we completely pull away from core funding and um, increase our rates. And we increased our rates by €1.50. Um, our rates were stuck at historical rates of um, 2014. We've written to the minister on numerous occasions, and 90% of the time we just didn't get any response and then we have had a few generic responses where they've acknowledged our um, email and that's it. There's been no communication. And um, when we notified them, the level 11 uh, school age services were actually pulling out poor funding. It's just complete dead silence. Uh, I re-emailed to say how shocked I was that there isn't even a fact finding as to why. And I received an email from um, a childcare committee telling me that I hadn't renewed 
and uh, my core funding application. And I explained why and I got the response. OK, thank you very much. Views of a couple of childcare providers there. Of course, thousands took to the streets today. Uh, Minister of State and Government Chief Whip Hildegard Norton, Sinn Féin TD Kathleen Funchen, Irish Independent Political Correspondent Hugh O'Connell are all still here with me. I'm also joined by Elaine Dunn from the Early Childcare Providers Federation and by parent and communications consultant Lorcan Nyan. There's a few parents on this panel. Um, uh, but I think it's important here to get the parents' perspective on all of this. But Hildegard, I, I want to come to you um, on this. Amanda and Fiona there, among, as I said, many childcare prof providers who took to, to Leinster, the gates of Leinster House today. Is the government hearing the frustration of these creche owners, providers, and going to do anything about it? Yes, government is always listening. I know Minister Roderick O'Gorman has put a huge amount of work into this area. His door is always open. I think it's important to say that. He's reduced the cost of childcare by 25% and he wants to continue that. Again, there's a, an upcoming budget um, coming in the next 10 days. And I know that he's working hard in relation to ensuring that we get this provision. So what do we want? The, the number one here is that Childcare is affordable for parents if you, so that you can get childcare for your child uh, and have access to that. Um, and I think it's important to say that when Minister Roderick O'Gorman provided that core funding, uh, and I think it's important that many of those who are, who are protesting today outside the Dáil, they're asking for the fees to be increased. And the condition they're asking of that, for their funding to be increased. No, well, yes, but they want the fees that parents pay for childcare to increase. And the contingency in getting the core funding that Minister O'Gorman is allocating, it's to ensure that if the state or government is providing funding to creches or childcare facilities, that then the, the fees don't increase. And that's one of the, I suppose, demands from the childcare providers. But I get the, I get the constraints of the childcare providers around, uh, I, suppose, um, I suppose, staffing issues, uh, pay as well. And, that, and part of the core funding that was provided by Minister O'Gorman went towards the childcare mm. providers so that they could um, increase the, the benefits and conditions of childcare workers. We heard one viewpoint but there is there. more to be done. I think it's important to say there is more in, to be done. The Minister acknowledges that. Yeah, just in this instance, and we, we heard from Fiona there, who had a creche, expanded all her services and knew with that, you know, she had in mind the funding that would be needed per child in order to offer the service that she was offering. And then it was capped at, you know, just over half what she says she needs in order to run a good service with people who are properly trained with degrees to care for our children. So that the funding is not adequate to provide the service <clears throat> that childcare prov providers say that they, they want to give yes. to children. So, so what do you say to that? So what we have done is there is unprecedented funding for childcare. Mm. We want to increase that. That's, to be very clear, that's the trajectory we're going in, is to increase it, uh, the, the funding, so that the fees are affordable. We don't want parents paying a, 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 an equivalent to a second mortgage for childcare. So, we, so we, there will we be increased core, funding, will there? We'll give the core funding. What Minister Gorman has done is he's, he's working on that as part of the budgetary negotiations, but he has already reduced the cost of childcare okay. by giving the childcare providers the core funding, and that goes towards um, the pay and conditions of workers, because that's an issue as well, childcare workers, but also ensuring that the fees are, there's, there's a freeze on the fees so that the parents are not okay. paying more what? for childcare. Okay, what, and, what? Th and that's really important. Okay. And that's and look, not I what hope, came I out hope, today. I in hope this to will the, bring a bit of clarity into this, because we're getting two very 
different uh, sides here and very different stories about what the funding is supposed to do and what the funding actually is doing. And caught in the middle of all this, of course, Kathleen, our, our, our parents here. Yeah. Um, um, where do you think it's all going wrong? Okay, so there is huge frustration. You made that point, huge frustration from providers who are trying to keep their doors open from workers who are working in the sector who love their jobs, who have very well qualified, but often can't afford to stay in the job. And then from parents as well, who either can't access a place or can't afford a place. And you have to look at those three things together or it's not going to work. And that's the policy that we were, have been putting forward for the last few years. So providers have been you know, saying this for a very long time, particularly the smaller services, particularly those that are called sessional, that are providing maybe the ECCE year, the two years. They are under serious pressure and there is a huge amount of administration and paperwork. Nobody has a problem with that. Nobody's a problem with regulations. However, there isn't ever additional funding, for example, maybe to hire an administrative staff. So the person who is uh, operating the service, and we know it's predominantly women that, that are working and operating these services, are, are left with trying to do all of that as well as run the service. So there is big issues there in relation to providers. Also, we know from all the stories that parents find it hard to access a place and to afford a place. So um, that, that's, we need to see the investment for those three things and for the workers in the sector, but they have to come together. Those three things have to be done at the same time. We've put forward that proposal for the last number mm. of budgets that will reduce fees um, by one third in, in year one and by two thirds in year two, but it would also provide that uh, additional funding that's needed for, for, for providers. And also as well, okay. all of this has been going on for years before the cost of living. So it's even, it's even more difficult now for services and for those working in the sector that do need the, the recognition that they deserve in their, in their wages. I think, Elaine, the point you're making is that there's been an awful lot of infl inflationary pressures, all your operating costs are going up. And yet for many, um, uh, for many providers, their, their funding level is frozen, isn't it, per, per child? Uh, absolutely. What do you say, and we have heard this, like we're hearing it from Hildegard tonight, but we also heard it from the minister. We're playing catch up. We made really important strides over the last three years. There's been an unprecedented amount of money put into this childcare sector. And, and what we're trying to do is pay staff more and make childcare cheaper for parents. What do you say to that argument? Because I presume, look, that was the intention. Oh, absolutely. So why, absolutely. Why it, it, it was government's intention and policy. Um, but when you see 56 services within the Federation alone closing their doors in June that have not notified Tusler or the Department of Children, there is a problem. You saw over 4,000 people on the streets of Dublin today protesting. There's a problem. And we keep continuously saying it. A lot of the um, small and medium services are stuck in a fee freeze. For the early child care and education scheme, they're in a fee freeze since 2010. They're getting 69 euros. That's 4.60 an hour per child. So we parked our cars outside Leinster House today in one of the car parks. And we paid 4.60 an hour to park our cars. And that's what we're getting paid to look after children, to nurture them and educate them. I mean, that's scandalous that that's all we're getting for, the, for that scheme. And that's what's putting these providers out of business. And we have to take that into respect. And also... Because obviously you had to sign up to this scheme. So was there an awareness there or, 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 or what happened there? Did childcare providers feel sort of like they were blindsided by the deal that came along or it just didn't, in, it didn't work, work out as, as he thought it would? In 2010, we trusted government that they were going to give us an increase uh, incrementally. And it didn't happen. And so that's why we're out there today saying, look, we need 100 euros 
mm. or 120 euros for the ETSI services to keep their doors open. And this will really, really help to support the quality of their services, okay. pay higher wages and keep all their costs, mm. you know, down. Um, Laura, I, I suppose when I said this, that parents are, you know, caught in the middle, it's actually children, really, because it's children who are maybe, you know, there's that pressure to get them into a crash, to get them into a childcare uh, place, to even find them that important early years education. From your perspective as a parent, how do you think childcare is treated in this country? Yeah, I think we need a, a total shift in, in everybody's perspective to it because we're starting from a point where it wasn't maybe given the respect it deserves. We didn't understand just how important early childcare education was. It's not a nice add-on. It's not just important. It is at least as important as primary education. Mm. I mean, all of the most recent research will tell us that if you get early education right, neurologically, if you get methodical early education right, you're given the foundation that really, really, really equips people to flourish and to learn properly afterwards. Mm. You can't learn properly unless you've had the proper early years education. I suppose that's why I, I suppose I'm talking about it and why I'm writing about it. Lucky enough, and my child is in, in, in an amazing crash. Frustrating and difficult experience to get her into that crash, but in an amazing crash. So I, I don't understand. We need to really work to make sure that every child can have that opportunity to flourish. And to do that, you need to be way more ambitious then I think anybody is saying we need to be. You need to be ambitious and ambitious quickly to move to a properly funded, it's massively well-resourced model. Okay. It can't be iterative. We need to look at it and say, right, within five, six, seven years, we need a brand new model here because it's just as important. And I don't think it's acceptable that you're going to have kids who are walking into junior infants who are already significantly behind peers whose parents could afford childcare. Mm. Uh, when you talk about, you know, being ambitious and really needing to change it, because we, we, we keep hearing that, you know, what the government today has embarked on, you know, hasn't been done and, and childcare is now uh, a priority and the core funding is there and more funding will be given. But are you talking about publicly paid? So essentially, childcare is like going to school. It should be available to everyone and it should be free. So and, that's be, how, and that's how we should treat it in this we, country. In my view, we should absolutely be moving towards that model that we should set out a vision that we want to get there and then step by step, budget by budget, because we need to be a bit, bit, bit realistic. We're not going to do it in this budget. We're not going to do it tomorrow. Um, but that at least that's the stated aim and that there's a step by step approach to get in there. And it's not just government. I think it's everybody involved in politics should be looking at that. There'll always be a place for private as well. But that the public model, it's, it's too important to not have the government centrally involved in it. Hugh, it's interesting on this one because I know we have done this on the programme before mm -hmm. and the political will and appetite to do anything about childcare, it, it just doesn't really... I remember at the time asking, I think we had Richard Bruton on the show, and he said, no, for decades, actually, no, there wasn't the, there wasn't the, yeah. the, the political appetite there to do anything about yeah. it. Um, do you think that still lingers on in a way? Can we talk about what we're looking about and, and, and in, even in the, the budget priorities around childcare? Yeah, well, like what we're trying to do, I think, is to retrofit a private system into a public one. And that's difficult. As Lorcan says, it would probably take multiple budgets. But I think the problem, like the ambition is there. And like, you know, it, in fairness to Roderick O'Gorman, he has piled hundreds of millions of euro into this over the last three years. But it's not nearly enough because childcare costs are so exorbitant and were even more exorbitant before all that money was, was poured into it that like parents are to the pin of their collar, you know, and they are paying that second mortgage. And so it does need a, a radical uh, shift in thinking on the government's part. What, does that mean more money? Of course it does, yeah. It means, it means more money for the sector. It means better conditions. It means giving, uh, you know, smaller providers in particular 
less onerous bureaucratic uh, nightmares that I gather they're going through on a, mm. on a daily, on a weekly basis where they're forced to account for every single hour that a child has. And if they miss a few hours because their parents pick them up early, uh, that, you know, the, the, there's all sorts of issues that they're forced to potentially give back money. But the, the, the difficulty, I think, with, with all of the, the rhetoric around this is that last year, Roderick O'Gorman made a very clear commitment to, to cut fees by 50% on average over two budgets. And now he's backsliding on that. They did 25% last year, and he's been repeatedly asked today whether he would be uh, prepared to uh, commit to the 25% in this budget. And he, he plainly isn't, because he knows that he's working with, he will end up working with a limited amount of money that he will look to spread more mm. widely. Whereas if there was an ambition on, in all parts of government to actually deliver on this and to help the squeeze middle that Hildegard's party consistently bangs on about, uh, rather than talking about tax cuts, they'd be talking about putting uh, money towards helping parents to deal with their monthly childcare And costs. that's that discount will be locked in as a government priority. Why isn't it? So it, it is. Can I just explain? So the, so there there can, be, can I just explain the, the, the core funding? There is. So t- there, the Taoiseach was in the Dáil today as well. So he, Roderick O'Gorman committed, and we are we have reduced the cost of childcare by 25%. There's commitment by government to reduce it by 50%. Can I just explain the core funding? It's really important. Just and, come back. Would you just but, have, but, but it's you really important. the question on the, the 25% I, first? Because yeah, if there was a commitment of 50% and yeah. you've done and 25%, the commitment is there. what about the other 25%? The commitment is there. Roderick O'Gorman, the, the commitment for this year, by 50% Roderick was asked at least there. four times about it today. If I can answer it, it if I can answer the it. question. So 25% reduction has been achieved, right, in the cost of childcare. Roderick O'Gorman is in negotiations, the estimates process, and the budget is coming up in the next few days. I wouldn't be able to tell you within my own remit, and I'm looking for increased budget for drugs, what that's going to be, and the same for Roderick O'Gorman. Mm. But can I just, it's a really important point. There is core funding, and this is what Minister O'Gorman is doing. He is providing core funding to childcare providers. The condition of that is, rather than just giving childcare providers extra fund, funding and money, which they, you know, they were protesting about, and rightly so, today, outside the doll, the condition is that you don't up the price for parents who are putting their children into childcare mm. uh, providers, into creches. And that is one of the conditions. And what some of the protesters today were saying is that they wanted to increase the cost for mm-hmm. parents. And like, okay. it's really important. But, so, but, they so, so it's, but, they, but they haven't yet. But Hildegard. that's what they but, want. So but, what but I'm saying is the they core funding more money from government. Yeah, and which we, we are keep providing it, we're, and we're going to earlier. and we're going to keep providing that. But that core funding more needs more money. But that core funding, so that more money. Can I that? just can I just finish? It, it's going to make make it more affordable for parents. It's going to increase access for uh, children, right? Not okay. only ch- but children with disabilities, children in disadvantaged areas, um, and also improve the paying conditions of those working in childcare. Providers. I'm a little That's confused. what the, cu- the core funding a, is for. I'm just a little confused. Answer me this. Is there going to be a change to this funding <coughs> model that currently, you know, childcare providers say is broken? It, it's, it's not broken. It needs to be increased. So the state will continue to increase funding for, to, to ensure we have childcare provision across okay. the country. And just in relation to the admin costs, that is an issue. And Roger O'Gorman has said that he is going to look at short, medium, long-term um, initiatives there to ease that administrative right. burden for childcare providers. So we are funding this €1 billion. Euro. Okay. The target for €1 billion was 2028. We're doing it in 2023. I know this is a really important issue for families out there. You need to have childcare, and that's what we want to do in this budget. And Roger O'Gorman is in negotiations 
in relation Briefly, to the funding Kathleen, is there acknowledgement that this will all take time because we're coming from a very low base when it comes to childcare provision in this country? Of course it's going to take time and I would say that we've been talking about this like our policy has been the same since 2017 and that's, I find that very frustrating but we have to look at those small services and can I just say they're predominantly or are often in very rural areas as well we really need to look at them and there has to be something in this budget because it's not just for parents that's obviously a key thing and all of us as parents at times will be, be we're just thinking about that aspect but the, those who work in the sector those who provide the service you have to look at the three together okay. I'm always going to say that until All that's right. actually achieved We're out of time my thanks to Hildegard to Kathleen to Hugh, Elaine and Lorcan coming up next Storm Magnus is set to batter our shores we get the very latest from Met Aaron. do you stay with us Welcome back. I'm joined now by Met Erin, meteorologist and forecaster Linda Hughes, because we want to talk about Storm Agnes, impending Storm Agnes, because it's due to make landfall tomorrow. Uh, thanks for joining us on the programme, Linda. Bring us up to date. When exactly is this storm due to land in on us and, and how damaging can we expect it to be potentially? Yes, well, the actual centre of the low pressure system now called Storm Agnes will be making landfall around midday tomorrow uh, near Clare uh, Galway area. But the impacts of that are going to start much earlier. So around um, 6 or 7 a.m. we'll start to see rain moving in from the southwest. The rain quickly extending across the country. So it's mm. going to be a wet day everywhere. Um, yellow wind and rain warnings coming to operation at 7am then beginning to upgrade to orange warnings then from 9am. Okay so we have a couple of weather warnings in place there are two separate a separate rain warning and wind warning depending on what your county what county you're in and some counties are affected by both. Yes, so uh, the rain warning is for counties Kerry, Cork and Waterford. That's from 9am until 3pm. and But it's going to be wet day everywhere. That's where the highest rainfall accumulations will be. So a higher risk of flooding in those counties. And the orange wind warning then is for counties Kerry, Cork, Waterford, Wexford, Wicklow, Tipperary, Kilkenny and Carlow. And that's from 9am until 5pm. So it's going to be a very windy day right across the country with very very strong winds. There's a yellow wind warning for all of Leinster, Munster and Galway um, but the counties under that orange wind warning, that's where the most severe gusts are forecast to okay. affect. Tell us about the, the time of year that this storm is landing because that plays a part, doesn't it, in the potential damage that we may see. Yes, and at Met Erin, when we're deciding on these warnings, time of year is a big thing that we take into consideration, also time of day. So this time of year, trees are still in full leaf, so that increases the chances of falling trees and more debris on the roads. So that is one of the hazards that can be expected, particularly in southern and southeastern counties, but really most parts of the country, um, we are likely to see some uh, falling trees. So you may see a stronger storm later, into the winter but this could potentially have a more damaging impact just because of fuller trees and, and you're likely to see all that debris that are such a 
potential danger for motorists and, yeah, and for others. That's it. And as well, because of the wind and the rain combined, um, those two things can make it uh, more dangerous when people are out uh, travelling. Um, and another impact as well is around the coast, just to urge people to be very cautious, particularly along southern and eastern coasts. There is an orange um, sea area, marine warning as well. So storm force winds at times along southern and eastern coasts. So even along eastern coasts where it's a yellow wind warning, just for people to bear in mind, the winds coming on shore could be extremely strong with some very severe gusts there. So really do take care. Uh, are we likely to see potential localised flooding here and along our coasts? Are they are they vulnerable to flooding with this particular storm? Yes, we could see some coastal flooding, particularly along southern and eastern coasts. It's a southerly wind direction, southeasterly for a time along the east coast as well. So we could see some storm surge as well. Very high seas too um, coming in off the Atlantic as well due to this depression. So coastal flooding, wave overtopping are all um, hazards that could be seen over okay. the next. 24 hours so, so it's barreling in, um, going right through till tomorrow. At that point, you're expecting that the alerts uh, will end and that the storm will have passed over. Yeah, by tomorrow evening, you know, the rain will have started to clear northeastwards. Winds will start to ease off. Um, the actual centre of the low is forecast to track over Connacht up to the Midlands, over um, across East Ulster mm. then. So... In those areas, actually, the winds will become very calm for a time. Um, but then uh, tomorrow evening, that low will begin to move away and things will begin to improve then. All right. Thank you very much for bringing us uh, up to date on, on what's uh, predicted to land in on us tomorrow. Linda Hughes, uh, Met Air and Meteorologist, thank you for joining us on the programme. That is it from us. My thanks to all the panel tonight. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms. You can find us on Instagram and also on TikTok. But from all the late team here... Good night. Stay safe. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.